Who would win in a war between Texas and Oklahoma? Not the Red River shootout football game, but a real-life conflict between the Red River itself. If you're interested in the answer to that question, hang on with me, because I have a story that involves two armies staring each other down like a demilitarized zone, with couples dancing in the middle, an eight-day road race to the death, the parting of floodwaters like the Book of Exodus, an impeached governor, the first female governor in an election that changed the course of human events. Sit down, pour yourself a glass of beer or wine, because today we're going to talk about the Red River Bridge War. Good morning. I hope everybody has had a great weekend and I hope everyone's going to have a great week. And I'm glad everyone is here to learn a little bit more about Oklahoma history and culture as we begin episode three of the America of America podcast. I'm Will Milam. Before we get started, I would just like to go over a couple of housekeeping measures. Uh, Again, I'm floored by the amount of uh, support and comments we've received. Uh, Keep those coming. I'm always looking for ways to improve the show or looking for new topics that you will find interesting. If you have any ideas or comments, please feel free to email me at chautauquareview at gmail.com or reach out to me personally. I am also happy to announce it. This episode will be the first time that my good friend Joseph DeWillicotti will be assisting on the research, and that's been a major help to me as uh, subjects like this require a lot of reading and a lot of interpretation, so his help is going to be greatly appreciated. If you're looking for ways to support the show, especially with research, uh, again, feel free to email at chautauquareview at gmail. If you're looking for ways to support the show monetarily, I... I'm not looking for monetary contributions. If you if you feel uh, if you feel charitable, please consider donating to Sister BJ's Pantry, which is in Oklahoma City. Uh, you can find it with a Google search at Sister BJ's Pantry uh, or Sister Barbara Joseph's Pantry. They're they're a local charity in Oklahoma City that feeds a lot of the homeless in around the downtown area, and it's run through Sister Barbara Joseph, who is just an amazing, incredible woman who runs this with very low overhead, so the money really does go far, and they do great work. And with that, let's get into the Red River Bridge War. As with all of our episodes, we're going to have to start with a bit of background before we can really get into the event itself. First of all, you need to know what the Red River is, especially if you're not from Texas or Oklahoma. So the Red River is a a very long river that is essentially the border between northern Texas and southern Oklahoma. Before 1821, it was actually the border between the United States and Mexico. Obviously, Oklahoma was not a state, but the U.S. still had that territory. It wasn't until in 1821 that the Adams-Onese Treaty was signed, which made that border between Oklahoma, well, what's now Oklahoma, and Texas. So as we've established last week, 
By the time the 1800s began, there was already a large Native American presence in Oklahoma in areas like Arkansas. And if you especially look at a uh, map of the Native American lands in Oklahoma at the time, you'll see that the Chickasha Nation was in more of the southeast area of the state of Oklahoma. And one of those citizens of the Chickasaw Nation was a guy named Benjamin Franklin Colbert. He is the first major character of our story. At the time when there was a lot of migration to Texas, Colbert was in an area where he was encountering a lot of people moving to Texas because they had to go through Oklahoma to cross the Red River. So Frank Colbert, being the enterprising man that he was, decided that he was going to build a ferry to take people over in their possessions. And that's exactly what he did. So in 1853, Frank Colbert built the first major ferry to cross the Red River. Mr. Colbert charged everybody 25 cents a person per crossing and eventually became one of the richest men in the area. But Mr. Colbert wasn't going to stop at a ferry. Mr. Colbert knew that what the people wanted and what the people needed was a bridge. So in 1875, Mr. Colbert spent $40,000, a lot of money at those times, a lot of money now and built the first bridge over the Red River. He charged 50 cents a person and immediately had one of the most popular ways of crossing the Red River. And this made him an even wealthier man. Until 18 months later, when the river flooded and destroyed the bridge. A common theme to our story is that the Red River is not a navigable river by any stretch of the imagination. It is a torrent of craziness. So what did Frank Colbert do? Well, he did what any enterprising man would do. He built an improved bridge. And before he built that bridge, he made the savvy decision to get an exclusive from the state of Texas, making him immune from competition. So this second bridge cost him $70,000, but it lasted longer. Six months longer to be exact. It lasted a total of 24 months before being destroyed by the torrents of the Red River. A lesser man might go home, but we're dealing with Frank Colbert. So what did Frank Colbert do again? Well, Frank Colbert, being not an American citizen, but a citizen of the Chickasaw Nation, went through the Bureau of Indian Affairs to Congress and eventually got an exclusive for toll bridges across the Red River, just per se, across all of the Red River. Now, there were some exceptions that the government made him take. So for things like mail or military operations, the government could go for free. But other than that, Frank Colbert had an exclusive over the entire passage into Texas. But being out of funds himself, Frank Colbert had to do what anybody in his situation would do, and he formed a company, the Red River Bridge Company. And they built a wagon bridge that would not last for 24 months, but would last for 20 years. So for all that time, to get into Denison, Texas, you just crossed the toll bridge. And this would have been just fine if it wasn't for the invention of the automobile, and specifically the need for roads on which automobiles could drive. The sorry state of American roads really came to light in 1910 when there was a AAA race, specifically an eight-day road race, that was going to be put through Oklahoma. The Daily Oklahoman offered a $10,000 prize to the car maker that could win this eight-day road race. A lot of money at that time. The finest handmade cars in the country were going to be driving down Oklahoma roads to show their stuff. And that's exactly what they did. For a while. Eventually, the Oklahoma roads and the dust and the wind 
had their way with all of the cars, and no cars were able to finish, and therefore no one claimed that prize money. So, soon after, the federal government started putting up a lot of money for the states to improve their roads. And here's where our first side adventure comes into this episode. This doesn't really have anything to do with the Red River Bridge War itself, but I just thought it was really cool. So at the time the federal government started doing this, the governor of Texas was a guy named James Ferguson, who was an anti-prohibitionist Democrat. And he was a little bit, uh, how will we say, not super honest with the money. And he actually was impeached and was convicted and not able to hold another term of office. But what did James Ferguson do? Well, he had an incredible wife who just became governor. And Maude Ferguson, the impeached governor's wife, became the first female governor in the United States. They were kind of like the Clintons of their day, you could say, if the, uh, if the Clintons had won. But the Fergusons were eventually taken down by a guy named Dan Moody, who made a name for himself as being the Texas attorney that took down the Ku Klux Klan. But the important part for our story is actually not the governorship at this point, but is the Texas Highway Department. Because the Texas Highway Department is being run by a guy named Ross Sterling, who's going to become one of the major players in the Red River Bridge War. What Ross Sterling was very good at was making deals. He was a businessman by trade, and he was able to use the oil tax money in Texas to put up money for better roads in Texas. Ross Sterling was known as the man who took Texas out of the mud. But that tax money that was going towards the roads made people, rightfully, a bit annoyed at toll roads. If I'm paying all this money in taxes, then why am I having to pay money to use the roads? So Texas and Oklahoma both at the same time began seeking to eliminate toll roads. And by the time they were done, the only toll roads or bridges that were left were the bridges owned by the Red River Bridge Company because they had gotten an exclusive from the government. So the states went to Congress and to the courts to seek a way to get rid of these toll bridges that were owned by the Red River Bridge Company. And all parties were just bogged down in litigation until one man came and stopped that, our good friend Ross Sterling, who was at the highway department. If you remember, Ross Sterling was a deal maker. So when he became governor of Texas, all that litigation stopped. So what happened was that Ross Sterling convinced everyone to sign on to a deal where Texas and Oklahoma could build a car bridge about a quarter mile from where the Red River Bridge Company's uh, car bridge was in Denison. But they obviously had to provide some sweetness for the Red River Bridge Company, so they offered to buy that toll bridge for $160,000. The problem is Ross Sterling couldn't do this legally. Sure, he was the governor, but this required an act by the legislature. Here, I think, is a good time to ask ourselves, what was Oklahoma doing at this point? Well, ladies and gentlemen, now is when we get to introduce one of the wildest figures in Oklahoma history and will become the subject of many of our podcasts, Alfalfa Bill Murray. William Alfalfa Bill Murray was born in Collinsville, Texas in 1869. He spent his early career as a writer and a lawyer in Fort Worth, Texas, but after not being able to make much money there, eventually moved to Tishomingo, Oklahoma, the capital of the Chickasaw Nation. 
This is important because in Tishomingo, there was lots of legal work because at the time there was new state law. As Oklahoma was being made a state, there was also federal law, and there was also the Chickasaw tribal law. So unlike Fort Worth, there was plenty of law to be practiced in Tishomingo. In Tishomingo, Alfalfa Bill got his start in politics, campaigning for Democratic Party causes, and often talking about his experience as a farmer. And this is where the nickname Alfalfa Bill comes from. There's lots to talk about with Alfalfa Bill. But for our purposes today, it's just important to know that Alfalfa Bill is elected governor of Oklahoma in 1930. So he was involved with that agreement that Ross Sterling came up with between Oklahoma, Texas, and the Red River Bridge Company. This all comes to a head in 1930, because 1930 was the first year of the Depression. And by that time, the toll bridges were charging up to 75 cents, which created massive problems for moving people and crops in and across Texas and Oklahoma. The people were massively supportive and massively in need of that free bridge. And by July 1931, it looked like they got it. The bridge was done. The bridge was ready to open. And everyone's economic hardships, at least to a little bit of an extent, are about to be eased. So the bridge opens, and everything is great, at least for a little while, until the Red River Bridge Company goes to Ross Sterling asking for its payment. And Ross Sterling, realizing that the document that he signed wasn't exactly legal, tries to either obfuscate from paying them or tries to finagle a way out of paying them. So what does the Red River Bridge Company do? They go to federal court. And for purposes that we'll see here in a moment, they sue Ross Sterling individually, and they get a restraining order from the bridge opening. So the bridge, the free bridge that the people of Texas and Oklahoma are in need of, has to close. Meanwhile, Alfalfa Bill, the newly minted governor of Oklahoma, is dealing with bread riots in Oklahoma City because of the Depression. Needless to say, Alfalfa Bill really really wants to get this bridge open. So Governor Alfalfa Bill sends down some state officials with a letter written in his own hand that commands the bridge to be opened. And so the letter goes down and the officials at the bridge go, okay, so we'll open that bridge. And like an interstate game of telephone, Governor Sterling gets a hold of this. And who does he call? The Texas Rangers. That's right. The Texas Rangers head to the Red River to reclose the bridge. And the Rangers erect barriers on both sides of the bridge, effectively halting all traffic. But that's not even the wildest part. Though no one could cross the bridge for moving or commerce purposes, the Rangers let people go in promenade on the bridge. This means that people from either very North Texas or very Southern Oklahoma could go onto this bridge that no one could cross to promenade and party and hold dances and use it as a social setting. So you have to imagine you've got Texas Rangers closing off the bridge armed with guns, and people having these social gatherings on the bridge. And not to be outdone, Alfalfa Bill 
comes with, comes up with a unique interpretation of the Louisiana Purchase that allows him to claim all of that area around that bridge as Oklahoma Territory and declares martial law and sends down the newly minted Oklahoma National Guard. And the National Guard at this time was made up of World War I veterans who still had their World War I uniforms and artillery from World War I. So you have to imagine, while the Rangers are there and while the bridge is being used as a promenade, the Oklahoma National Guard straight up shows up in the area and declares everything to be under martial law, effectively shutting down all travel from Oklahoma and Texas. So on one side of the river, you have what's basically a World War I battalion with their artillery. And on the other side of the river, you have the Texas Rangers, one of the most legendary law enforcement groups in the world. And they're just staring at each other in this wild stalemate. But obviously, this isn't good for anybody. Everybody, including Ross Sterling and Alfalfa Bill, they want that bridge open. The people in the area want the bridge open. So Alfalfa Bill tries to come up with some let's call it unique ways to get the bridge open, and writes an open letter saying that the ladies of Oklahoma and Texas should go onto the bridge and start quilting. And while they're quilting, they should just take down the barriers because no one's going to shoot at a group of women who are quilting on a bridge. Now, between you and me, dear listener, I am perf- I'm perfectly happy to know that no women were harmed in this bridge conflict. So what eventually happens is the Texas legislature kind of sits back and goes, how are we going to get ourselves out of this? And apparently the only non-lawyers in the Texas legislature ask the obvious questions, well, why can't the Red River Bridge Company just sue Texas to get their money? And the response is, well, there's problems with the 11th Amendment and sovereign immunity that Texas can't let itself be sued by private citizens unless Texas lets itself be sued by private citizens. And then the Texas legislature responds, well, why don't we do that? And that's exactly what they do. In the summer of 1931, after a couple of weeks of this conflict, the Texas legislature comes together and passes an emergency law to let themselves be sued by the Red River Bridge Company so they can collect their money so the restraining order goes away and the bridge can open. And that's what happens. So almost anticlimactically, the Rangers just open the bridge. And you would think that that's the end of the story. That was a fun little glip in Oklahoma and Texas history. But that's just where the fun gets started. Because by the time that bridge is open, all the national newspapers have reporters down there. The New York Times, the Chicago Tribune, they all have people down there trying to figure out what's going on on the Red River. Now, if you know anything about Oklahoma and Texas geography, is that Oklahoma City is much closer to the Red River than Texas is. So Alfalfa Bill, being the enterprising guy that he is, just hops in a car and goes down to the Red River. So when he gets there, he's the only official on the scene that's talking to the reporters. So while Ross Sterling is in Austin, Alfalfa Bill is with the reporters telling them all about it. So when the newspapers get word of what happened at the Red River, it's all coming from Alfalfa Bill. And while he's there, he is parading his soldiers. He is eating with his soldiers. He is regaling these reporters with the stories about how he single-handedly saved all the people of Oklahoma and Texas, which is why we say that Oklahoma won the Red River Bridge War, because it was won in the hearts of the people and on the pages of the newspapers. And what happens to Ross Sterling? Well, Ross Sterling would go on to lose his election. 
While Alfalfa Bill is basking in the glory, Ross Sterling's political career is essentially ended by this conflict. To add insult to injury, Ross Sterling essentially goes bankrupt in the Great Depression. But he doesn't stay bankrupt for long. He's still a very savvy businessman. And with some investments from his wife's money, he does die in 1948, a pretty wealthy guy. But for us, how does this affect us? How does the Red River Bridge War affect Oklahomans and Texans today? Well, it actually affects us majorly in two ways. Well, one way for Oklahomans and Texans, and the other way for all of the world. First, the Red River Bridge War saw the end of Denison being the gateway to Texas, of that road, which is now Highway 75, if you're familiar with that in Oklahoma and Texas, of being that main highway. And that main highway was switched to Interstate 35, which runs at about Thackerville, Oklahoma, and Gainesville. So if you ever find yourself driving either from Oklahoma City to Dallas or Dallas to Oklahoma City, and you cross the Red River there, you know why. And the second lasting legacy is even more important for us, because it has to do with not only all of America, but really all of the world. You see, when Alfalfa Bill was basking in his spotlight, there was a U.S. election coming up, a presidential election in 1932, and Alfalfa Bill took all of that goodwill to the 1932 Democratic National Committee and was seeking the nomination for president. And rumor is he would have had that nomination too if it wasn't for one guy, John Nance Garner, the sitting uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives who happened to be from Texas the losing side of the Red River War. So the Red River War, excuse me, the Red River Bridge War, Texas might not have won it, but they won in the end by keeping Alfalfa Bill away from the nomination. But although Alfalfa Bill dropped out after the first ballot, all of his delegates had to put their votes somewhere else and they didn't want to go to anyone else that wasn't Alfalfa Bill. So who did they choose? They chose the next best option the most famous Oklahoma Democrat. That's right. Alfalfa Bill was not the most famous Democrat from Oklahoma. The most famous Democrat was Will Rogers, our good friend from last episode and our good friend going forward, received 22 delegate votes in the second round of the 1932 Democratic National Convention. And who would go on to win since Alfalfa Bill could not win because of Garner? That's right, Franklin Delano Roosevelt would go on to serve four terms and might never have been elected if it wasn't for the Red River Bridge War. Well, folks, that's all we got for today. And I'm glad that you stuck around and listened to this, this truly incredible tale of, of rivalry between Oklahoma and Texas and its implications. Next week... We're going to take a step away from deep historical dives or deep historical stories, and we're going to examine a piece of Oklahoma's culture, which is, where are we geographically? And that might sound like an easy question, but it creates a lot of debate and has no real answer. But we're going to try to come up with one. So I look forward to talking about this with all of you next week. I'll see you then. And as always, I'm Will Milan. Thanks for listening.
The America of America podcast is written and recorded by me, Will Milan, with research assistance from my dear friend Joseph DeWorlicotti. For today's episode, we found Rusty Williams's The Red River Bridge War, published by Texas A&M University Press, integral and very helpful for our research. Thank you.